From WXXI News, this is Connections Live from the Little Theater. I'm Evan Dawson. We continue our conversation this hour as we cap our week-long investigative reporting series on the lack of diversity on local teaching staffs. And we're talking about the city of Rochester. We're talking about suburban districts, rural districts, and districts across the Finger Lakes. Everywhere you go, uh, students of color are underrepresented and in, in many ways underrepresented severely on local teaching staffs. We have put together that series of reports for you on WXXINews.org. Click on the Degrees of Diversity tab. You can read and listen to our series of reports all week long. We also have an interactive map in which you can take a look at the diversity statistics in both the students and the teaching staffs in your district. And we've got a spreadsheet if you're in the Finger Lakes. We've tried to compile as much data as we possibly could. Uh, We have a a new panel this hour, and I want to introduce them now, and they are in studio with us. Kevin McGowan is the superintendent of the Brighton Central School District. Superintendent McGowan, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Evan. Leslie Myers, the superintendent of the Brockport Central School District. And nice to see you, Leslie. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. You're hanging in there. (laughs) I I, am. I appreciate that very much. Jeff Crane is the superintendent of the Western Rondequoit Central School District. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thank you, Evan. And Brandon White is a teacher on assignment for restorative practices at Northwest Junior and Northeast Senior High Schools at the Douglas Campus in the Rochester City School District. Brandon, thanks for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. All right, so uh, before we, we continue with not only our conversation with panelists, I'll let our audience members know. In many ways, we're going to structure this hour the same way. We have a lot of people in the theater here live, uh, and we're going to be taking your questions all throughout the hour. I'm going to ask our panelists to make some opening remarks on some of what they heard in the previous hour, some of their reaction to our diversity series. I also want to let you know that Karen DeWitt, our Capitol Bureau correspondent, uh, spent part of the morning in an interview with Mary Ellen Elia, who is the Commissioner of Education for the State of New York, who responded to our series. You're going to hear from her coming up in just a bit, but let me go across the table and ask our, our panel, starting with the teacher on the far end of the table. Brandon, when it comes to uh, some of the, the issues raised this week in our reporting and some of your own experience as a teacher, what would you like to, to share to start here? Well, because um, a lot's been said, so I got to think about that. Um, I find a lot of it resonates with uh, my personal experience and the experience of my colleagues and certainly the experiences of my students. Um, I I appreciate how the the gaps of employment are amazingly but tragically illustrated. Um, I've appreciated how the students have communicated that, and I haven't found anything personally that was inaccurate or fallacious or anything like that. Okay. So. And as a teacher yourself, <clears throat> yes. we've heard, again, from, from many current teachers. We've heard from students who are considering the profession. And what we know is there is a, a smaller level of de- desire, collectively speaking, in the African-American community to teach. Fewer than, I think, 2% of the national population of teachers are African-American males. So what was it about the profession that drew you? I think it was a combination of a couple of things. One, there, the education I received um, allowed for the vision of me being a teacher to be a bit more clear. Um, I feel like I had a good break in terms of the teachers that I got overall. Um, I went to Wilson, which at the time was a, a pretty good uh, school with a lot of strong teachers there. I was part of the International Baccalaureate pro- Program. You see the privilege here. Um, that allows me to feel like teaching it would be a good uh, idea. Um, also had both uh, parents who really stressed education. And um, when the school system did not encourage 
teaching as a potential uh, venue for my life, I had to make certain connections. For example, I, even though I'm TOA Restorative Practices, my certification is in English education. Um, and school didn't put together the conventions of English language arts with my music culture, hip-hop. I had to do that, and it allowed me to contextualize what I could do for a living. If I didn't get that multi-million dollar contract, <laughs> I could you know, teach kids to contextualize their culture with um, the education that is being spread in the classroom. Okay. Jeff Crane, the superintendent at West Aranaquai. I, I think you are the culprit of the person clicking the pens. I'm sorry about that. Okay, Kevin. so I didn't mean to scold you to start off here. It's okay. I'm used to it. Jeff, uh, you participated in a Generation Listen event with WXXI, and I know that uh, you, you're involved in a number of efforts when it comes to diversity, not just on teaching staffs but in our community. But let's talk about teaching. How do you view the issue, the challenge that our community has to overcome with this? Uh, well, I, I, Evan, I, I look at it, um, and I think your uh, first-hour panel uh, did everything but mention this phrase, the moral imperative. Um, we have a moral imperative in education uh, to provide uh, each and every one of our students uh, a safe and positive learning environment, and we know through the research that that includes a diverse learning environment. We know that our kids, all of our kids, learn at a higher level uh, when they are in a setting that is diverse. Uh, we know that our uh, um, what our kids are going to graduate into is a diverse global uh, economy and world. And to do anything less than that, uh, we would have to look in the mirror then and know that we had not met the moral imperative for our kids. Part of that, obviously, then, is to provide in, in any way possible um, uh, the kind of leadership in, in, ever, in every setting uh, that our kids can see that all types of people um, get to uh, present that safe and positive environment for those kids during that time. So I see it as a moral imperative. Okay. Superintendent Myers? Sure. There's two really big umbrellas that come to mind for me, and one is certainly recruitment but also coupled with retention. And so under that umbrella, you have the just the compelling need to recruit and retain teachers, educators of color. You have the second point of ensuring that you have an understanding of the recommendations and best practices relative to the recruitment and retention of educators of color. And then thirdly, advocacy for local, state, and federal policies that, that ensure that there's recruitment and retention of teachers of color. The second umbrella or big idea for me is the pipeline. And we often focus on the pipeline starting in college. And it really is almost too late to start that pipeline there. We have a program in Monroe County entitled Careers in Education. And it's to encourage all students with a focus and emphasis on students of color to consider teaching. And so it's really important to get those the concept of the importance of education and becoming a teacher or any other type of educator. What's sad for me when I became the superintendent of Brockport in 2012, I was the first woman of color to lead a school district. And if we did not have the Rochester City School District, I would, I'm, I'm the first woman of color to lead a suburban school district. 
So that pipeline is so important for me sitting in this role and in this chair, because if we don't have teachers or other educators, uh, the superintendency is going to continue to stay homogenous. So this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Okay. Kevin McGowan from Brighton. Nothing worse than going last after three bright people share their perspective, so thank you. And I would just like to point out for Jeff, both his former principals, that Evan Dawson was clicking his pen down on the side of the table, so if you'd like to scold him, now's your opportunity. Thank you, <laughs> thank you uh, Dr. McGowan. educators, you always need to try I appreciate your out. support. Anything I can do. To, <laughs> I'm always there for you, Jeff. Uh, I, I just want to start by saying thanks to Evan, uh, now that I gave him a hard time, for uh, fostering this dialogue in such an intelligent, insightful, thorough manner over a long period of time, talking to a lot of people and giving people the opportunity to really dig in and think about an issue. So this is a problem, I think, in general, in, in terms of popular culture, the debate, the discussion, the dialogue about issues are so bumper sticker driven, um, CNN banner on the bottom driven, and it's really difficult to dig into complex issues that I think are so important, yet we don't do it very often. Evan does, and I think this is a great example of it. So thank you very much for that. And I think that your you asked uh, in introducing this for us to give our perspectives on the week and, and anything that we thought about that. I, I think you have really started to drive a conversation many places. It's come up over and over throughout the week, lots of comments, feedback. I know all of us as, as superintendents have gotten feedback in our communities, and people are talking about it. So that's, that's great and I think a great function of your show. So I think a lot about democracy and about public education being this incredible manifestation uh, facilitator of democracy, but the, a great example of where democracy is happening in action, right? It's the, one of the biggest functions of a democracy is providing a free, appropriate public education for its citizenry. And it serves this great purpose in helping to develop better citizens and to drive change for good in our communities. But if that good is going to happen for all people, then that public education needs to happen with all people. I had a really interesting experience with one of our students in an activity last year, one of our clubs that uh, works through our Mosaic Club, talks a lot about race issues, about difference issues. And in the activity, we were to uh, pretend as though an aspect of, our, of who we are changed overnight. So either our race or our religion, our gender. And I was working with two young African-American female students, and the task for me was to imagine that overnight I would be an African-American female superintendent. And I thought, well, that's great, because I'd be as good as Leslie then. However, it was an interesting discussion with these two young ladies about how that would dramatically, if I'm being honest about it, that would change the work. It would change the perception. It would change my interactions. And in all of us, I think, really trying in our work to become more aware and understanding of our privilege, whichever privilege we come to the table with, it's helpful, helpful to think about these things, but also for me, it was helpful to think about how that conversation could have been different with those girls if I came from a diverse background. I think it's important, one point you brought up during the week, for us to remember, um, and I know it was brought up in the, in the last hour, I think Sean Elms did a, did a great job of pointing this out, this issue of cultural competency, that because we don't come from a diverse background does not mean that we can't be empathetic and be connected and be understanding and really work towards developing cultural competency. It, I know, though, also having diverse members of our staff having those conversations would be awfully helpful and help drive change for all kids in our communities. All right. I want to listen to what the, the commissioner of – commissioner, what is her title? She is the commissioner of education, education commissioner. Uh, Mary Ellen Elia spoke to Capitol Bureau correspondent Karen DeWitt from WXXI just about an hour ago. 
And uh, she had a chance to take in the reporting series that we did this week and share her thoughts as the state education commissioner about the the state of teacher diversity and the lack thereof. She told Karen DeWitt, first of all, that clearly this is a problem and a problem even more so than than many people may realize. And now let's listen to some of what uh, Mary Ellen Elia had to say about possible ways forward. Our plan uh, is we have a roundtable of policymakers and decision makers that can help us to address this in various places. So, for instance, um, this past year, um, with the program that we have to address the um, discrepancy in outcomes for African-American Hispanic males, uh, one of the things that we're specifically targeting is how can we um, approach that in a way that provides opportunities for um, a diverse a diverse teacher population. So the Higher Education Opportunity Program is one of those areas where there's a targeted um, uh, opportunity for diverse teachers or potential teachers, candidates, um, to have support as they go through college. Now, it also helps all teachers who are in a position where they need extra financial support. But there is a, an attempt in that to make sure that we have diverse candidates participating. You're going to hear more from Karen DeWitt uh, as we go throughout the day on WXXI News on this issue, and we'll add it to our section on degrees of diversity. But I think one of the themes we've heard from, whether it's parents or community members in various communities this week, is this awareness had to be raised, and the question there going to be any action taken, or are we just going to talk about it uh, and, and not do anything? And the Commissioner of Education is saying that they recognize that and they are taking active steps and that we should be able to measure the progress going forward. Uh, in studio here, in studio, it's a studio, it's the theater, it's the little theater where we're broadcasting live on the phone. Uh, we have, uh, what I want to do is make sure that if you want to weigh in with comments or questions, you can get up now and, and get in line and we'll be taking those comments and questions as we go throughout the hour. I just want to follow up with one question for Superintendent McGowan, because uh, I would say, Superintendent, of all the comments we heard this week, one of the ones that I got the most feedback for was the comment of yours that closed the piece that that aired on Wednesday, in which I think um, you are asking us to kind of look within. I think uh, when we talk about how self-segregated we are as a society, but really especially in Western New York, uh, I don't think you were blaming parents, but I think you were also saying it's complex and that we all should understand our roles here, whether it's in teaching diversity, whether it is in uh, the way we, where we choose to live and, and uh, sort of all of the related issues. And, and I wondered if you could just kind of share a little bit more about your thoughts about that because that really sparked some conversation in various places. Yeah, you know, it, I think that um, it, it was a comment made, you know, in the context of our broader conversation, which is hard to capture in, in a soundbite. Yeah. But I certainly received feedback on that too. I think it's about making decisions, and, and I can really only speak for my own family's decisions and, and my own personal perspective on it because it, it's not meant to be a criticism, criticism of anybody else. But part of our choice to come to this area as a family was a tremendous professional opportunity to work in, in the district uh, that I'm in, in Brighton, which which was wonderful, and, and I felt very blessed to have that opportunity. However, it was also our perspective on you know, for me, living and, and uh, working are, are married to each other. So I was going to be in the community that I was going to work in, and where did I want my children to grow up? And I, I chose to grow up in a place where diversity was embraced, diversity is celebrated, 
and it is not just embraced or celebrated on particular days, but it is a part of who we are each and every day, that we recognize the differences among us make us stronger. We appreciate those. And I wanted to be a part of that, but more than anything, I wanted my children to be a part of that. I would like my children to hear today's broadcast and hear from many people who have asked questions, although it's, it's radio, so it'll have to be pointed out to them, but who have spoken so eloquently on the topic from a diverse background. I think it's important for our kids all of our kids to hear and see mentors and people around them that are different and that they recognize the, the beauty of that in our society. So I think that's what I was getting at was that we, we all do make those choices and we do have a lot of self-segregation that happens. I mean, if we look at, you know, the various census maps, we, we know how that happens and where that happens. And I think uh, it, it's about making those choices to to put your kids in situations where uh, they can appreciate and celebrate diversity and, and see the good with that. Let me take a phone call because we have a question from Tracy and Brockport, a specific question, I think, for Superintendent Myers. So let's go ahead and listen, and we'll do our best to listen in studio or here in the theater as well. Go ahead, Tracy. Hi. Thank you for Hi. taking my call. Sure. Um, I am a parent in Brockport. I have a, a two-year-old and a, and a new baby, and um, I've been thinking about leaving Brockport um, mainly because of my concern about the lack of diversity. Um, so I'd love to hear from Superintendent Myers about why I should stay, and if I do stay, what, what can I do to help um, encourage diversity within the school? Okay. Thank you, Tracy. Superintendent Myers? Thank you. So no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Um, I, I think Brockport, first and foremost, took a bold step by hire me, hiring me as the first African-American superintendent. They wanted a change. There had been a homogenous approach to the superintendency, and they wanted a fresh perspective and a new look. So I think first and foremost, almost five years ago, when I, and I call it that first bold and courageous step to hire somebody who looks like me, um, certainly is an indication that the climate is changing. Um, but we are really putting a focus and emphasis on ensuring that our children as early as pre-K and K understand that the differences are, are what make us unique, and that's a good thing. Um, we are putting time and attention into programming to make the curriculum culturally responsive, which is critically important. Uh, we have a focus and emphasis on we've modified our strategic plan which is really the backbone and framework of everything that we do, Tracy, to ensure that diversity is embedded within that. And uh, I'm having really good conversations with the board about the fact that uh, we need to take a, a more concerted effort around some of our programming and our initiatives. So, for example, just recently I proposed to the board an equity mentor program, something that uh, we had in the Ithaca City School District, and it's professional developers in each of our schools and different departments who work with helping to answer those difficult questions when race or culture or any of the isms come up. And so we are actively looking at figuring out how to incorporate that into our pedagogy. The other final thing that I'll just add, Tracy, is that I'd encourage you to set up an appointment with me to come see me I'd love to know what your strengths, your abilities, and talents are and how we can put that to work in the district to have you be an ambassador. So thank you for your question. Thanks very much, Superintendent Myers. Let's take a, a question from here in the theater, right down here in this mic. Go ahead, sir. Hi. Good afternoon. I'm a parent. My name is Robert Brown. And um, I've, I really feel that Rochester has been a trailblazer 
for the people locally as well as nationally throughout history. And I would love to see them do make a difference in this particular form um, on this on this particular topic. I um, when I think about the the diversity for for the benefit of the children, I also can't help but to think about how important it is for the teachers as well. I believe, though, that a part of the pushback when I think about it, although the children is my primary concern, but I think about the teachers also. We're talking about um, filling in probably 30 to 40 percent of the jobs, the teaching jobs in this area or nationally, and I think that a big pushback is um, for forever has been due to the jobs. Now that does play into, I believe, um, whether it's indirect or direct racism. We don't want to use the word, but I mean, can't help it. My, but my thought is this right here. If we are going to make a difference here, we have to really roll up our sleeves and stop talking about this here. This is not going to be something that's going to go smoothly. And, um, and I believe that for the for the sake of the teachers, I believe that um, in order to to have uh, teachers uh, recruited into this particular field, because I know that there's a lot of teachers out there. I've spoken with a lot of teachers on from different backgrounds. One of the things that I was told is that they feel that you know, trying to come into a, 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 to a position as a teacher, they feel that the cards, the, the deck is stacked against them. Mm. You know, um, so this has to be enforced, um, and, and enforced is another strong word. But um, it's not going to go, you know, just by asking people to move aside so that someone else can have a job, you know what I mean? And lastly, I'd like to say that <clears throat> I believe that um, – when it comes to that diversity piece, those teachers that come in, whether, I mean, it's not just about black and white, it's across the spectrum, should be able to teach these children the truth about their cultures. And especially when it comes to African-Americans, stop with this slavery stuff and start talking about the great things that their people have done way before they came onto these shores. Wow, Thanks, that's sir. it. Yeah, you know, so I, I think that's a... I think that's a great uh, a great point. And, and to, to tackle the second part first, the issue of, of what we're teaching. You know, we've had some really interesting conversations with our kids over the last couple of years about African American History Month and kids saying, you know, there's a chapter in the book about African American history. Well, guess what? It's American history. It's not just African American history. It's about the whole picture and thinking about the literature kids are reading, thinking about the examples they're having. And not, again, not just for African-American students, but for all students. Our kids, all of our kids from all backgrounds need to understand that. But relative to the, the, the hiring issue and the deck stacked against, I think it's a good point. We really struggle in this area because we don't, in our application process, at least at Brighton, and I'm fairly sure my colleagues have the same situation, we don't ask for uh, data regarding race. So our candidate pools are whoever applies, and then people are selected from that pool, but uh, there's really no way to tell what somebody's race is. So it's very hard to make a, a direct effort in a school district to say we want to make sure in our pool we have more diversity in our pool. And I think the answer to that, at least for us, is we've recently joined a network, the Northeastern Minority network, NEMNET it is called, who is a specific placement service where we will have access to applications um, and job posting, our job postings to this network for diverse candidates to uh, participate in. 
the idea being that at least we know we will hopefully generate a larger pool. If the pool has more people in it from a diverse background, we are more likely to then be hiring from a diverse background. We don't think we have the applications right now, but it's hard to also even analyze that because we don't know on the way in uh, where people are coming from or what, what their diverse background may be. We'll also participate in job fairs through that group so that we can actually meet those candidates and try and recruit and have them come to us. Okay, Superintendent Crane? Yes, yeah, so, uh, so Kevin talks about uh, the short term. On the long term, you, you may have heard already in the first hour from the superintendent from Geneva, uh, and Leslie talked about the careers and education program. Well, the superintendent from Geneva talked about the today's students, tomorrow's teachers. She used the phrase, grow your own. And Western has been involved in that program as well for about 10 to 11 years. Um, the, the, the problem with that program is that it's not uh, course related. It's uh, in addition to everything that the kids are doing, it's, uh, it's take the kids out of one course and give them their experiences, their field experience. It's very difficult on the kids. Uh, and, and to say that we have been ultra successful in that endeavor uh, would not be accurate. However, um, at the uh, National Conference on Diversity that I attended uh, in Washington this past September, I had the great... Uh, <laughs> Um, experience of uh, meeting uh, a professor from the University of Denver who runs the Pathways to Teaching program. And I will tell you that around our table, there is great excitement around this Pathways to Teaching program, which uh, has been very successful uh, in Denver, um, not only with minority students, but with all students understanding the importance of a career in education because, quite frankly, uh, folks, education has not been well served in the past five or six years. This profession is so important to our future, and we have, directly and indirectly, in the past five or six years, blamed educators for society's ills instead of taking all of us together to deal with society's ills so that teachers could do the job that they need to do in the classroom. And that has to stop. We are, if you talk with the folks at the college level, the numbers of kids, all kids, all colors of kids going into education is way down. And we have to, we have to tell all of our kids what a great profession this is, that it's an honored profession, uh, that it will uh, teach that we can that we can affect the future uh, in great ways, and with a program like Pathways to Teaching, where the kids as juniors and seniors actually earn college credits, which is similar to a lot of the courses we offer in a lot of our our schools, so that now you go into the college program with college credits, and the promise that you will be hired back to your district if that's where you want to teach as a minority student primarily, but also all students involved in education, that's the long-term approach that many of us are, are, are looking into uh, based on this program out of Denver. I know both of our other panelists want to weigh in. I have to get our break. Let's get our only break of the hour. I'm going to let them uh, address that topic as well, and then right back to your comments right here in the Little Theater. Connections is live at the Little Theater on this Friday afternoon, and we continue with our discussion on degrees of diversity next. I'm Evan Dawson, Monday on The Next Connections. The Sierra Club is holding a special event to highlight the risks and challenges that our area faces in the greater Great Lakes. 
They're talking about water, clean water, safe water, and water rights. We'll talk to them about that. Then in our second hour, there's a new version of Baby It's Cold Outside. We'll talk to the authors of Why, and we'll talk about talking to your kids about Santa. That's Monday. Welcome back to Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our panel this hour in the studio here at the Little Theater. You just heard Jeff Crane, the West Arundaquite superintendent, and Kevin McGowan, the superintendent at Brighton Central School District. In a moment, you're going to hear from Brandon White, who is a teacher on assignment for restorative practices at Northwest Junior and Northwest Northeast Senior High Schools at the Douglas Campus in the Rochester City School District. And Leslie Myers is the superintendent of Brockport Central School District. Uh, superintendent Myers, I know you wanted to weigh in on what you just heard as well. Go ahead. I wanted to address Mr. Brown's comment about shifting that paradigm and really teaching kind of the other side of the story. Uh, I, we moved to the Pittsford Central School District in 1977, and I was a second grader. Um, so that next year, when I was in third grade, I, um, February came around with Black History Month. And I remember my third grade teacher turning to me and saying, Miss Myers, we would like you to enlighten the class about Black History Month because we know you have some experience with this. And I remember feeling very off-put and, you know, under the microscope. And, I mean, I, you know, my parents had embedded a lot of uh, pride in that month in particular. And so I got through it. And then it happened again in fourth. And then it happened again in fifth, dot, dot, dot. Mm. So about fifth grade, I decided that if I were going to be called upon as an expert, so I'm, what, 10, 11 12 years old at this point, that I'm going to tell my truth and that I'm going to do the research. I talked to my parents, and I presented kind of the other side of the story, what you don't find in the textbook. So at a very young age, I took it upon myself to make sure that my classmates, at least in my classroom, knew more than just Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, you know, the main uh, historical figures in, in, uh, in, during Black History Month. And so that really is a critical element to make sure that our children understand both sides of the story relative to Columbus Day and why uh, that day sometimes is not celebrated or Thanksgiving and the impact that it has on indigenous people and not just focusing on what is popular or what has been told from generation to generation. So, Mr. Brown, thank you, because that really resonated with me of how I had to really become forced to become the expert and, and enlighten my, my classmates. Okay, and Brandon, want to weigh in too? Go ahead. Yes, uh, I'll try to be quick. I just wanted to um, further expound on a bit about what Mr. Brown was talking about in terms of the curriculum uh, needing to be different. I will say that in the RCSD, there's a current initiative to uh, create new K-2 through curriculum that's more cu- culturally competent, culturally informed, and culturally responsive. Um, done by people who are true experts in the field um, through the Rochester Teacher Center. Um, and they're also expanding beyond the two. But obviously, if you're going to do it right and you're going to do it authentically, it'll take some time. Um, and you're right in terms of backlash. That will threaten some people's psychological security to find out that the people that they're teaching have a deeper history than slavery and some of the things that they benefit from are due to the degradation of others. Um, that will really be a big psychological hurdle for many educators. Um, And I think that bigger than that psychological hurdle will be the economic hurdle that you talked about. Um, And I think that's the main reason why this hasn't really gotten some serious push. You know, some people can be uncomfortable in their minds, but in terms of hurting their pockets, that's, that's something that's deeper. And I think that's one of the side effects of Brown versus Board that we don't talk about. That gave thousands of white people jobs. 
when we did Brown versus Board of, uh, of Education, right? They gave thousands of white folk jobs that wouldn't have otherwise had them if, you know, black teachers were still teaching black students. But now we're in a circumstance where black teachers aren't teaching black students. Um, as uh, Ms. Radney talked about, there's a lot of people who are well-equipped, well-certified, that are not being hired by the RCSD, you know? And, you know, if this is what's happening now with the tiny percent of people who are interested, what will happen when we're actually trying to change the systems? Um, what the uh, Secretary of Education was, mm -hmm. what she said about policies and, you know, recruiting more teachers of color is great, but what about the actual districts that actually have to hire them? So you get them in the college programs, you get their degrees, then what? You know, so that, I just wanted to say thank you for saying what you said. All right, let's go to this microphone right here. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Dr. Claudette James. I am a recruitment and retention um, coordinator for the Ithaca City School District. I am delighted to be here today and see many faces um, of people who I know and I have worked with. Um, my career as an educator actually began in the Rochester City School District. I worked at Jefferson uh, Middle School, School 5, and so on. I have a book full of notes from and comment about a lot of the comments today, um, and I truly appreciate um, all the participants. It was wonderful to hear about Hilton, Brighton, West Court, Brockport, Henrietta, Geneva, but What's tearing at my heart right now is the reality is kind of something um, Dr. Myers stated and a couple of other panel members. The reality is um, waiting until people get to college may be a little bit too late. And in the Rochester com community, your largest percentage of African-American, Hispanic, um, Asian students, they're in the Rochester City School District. And I am really struggling right now to not hear more information about what we're doing to educate and inspire more of the Rochester City School District students to be a part of this solution, creating excitement in these classrooms, educating, graduating, helping them to pass these assessments, there have been conversations in this community about regional school systems where every student will have more opportunity and access to the resources that are available in this community, and there has been tremendous pushback. If we want to have some very viable solutions to the absence of students of color going into education, we need to go where the students of color are, Rochester City School District. And I would have loved to see the superintendent of Rochester here today, cabinet members, board members. I'm struggling right now. That's the only thing I'm going to talk about, even though I have an entire notebook. <laughs> But um, again, this is my passion. Dr. Myers knows I've been working on this and researching, and um, I'm out there on the front line with the recruitment and retention of people of color for school districts, um, particularly for Ithaca City School District. But the bottom line, folks, if we do not educate students of color so that they can become teachers 
and inspire them. And yes, all of your districts have a percentage, a percentage, a percentage, a percentage. But the reality is, when we put all your percentages together, you're not even close to what we have in Rochester City School District, Syracuse, Buffalo, New York City. I don't think I need to go any further. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. James. Dr. James, I will tell you that the teacher preparation program that's been going on for many years uh, at East High School is still going on. I did visit it and talk to Laura uh, there, and uh, they are very interested in if we get that Pathways to Teacher program going, that they would think about combining with us and continuing that program. Excellent. So at least at that point, that's all I've got for you, Excellent. though. Excellent. <laughs> taking that initiative, but we all recognize that East High is one out of X number uh, that's of all high I had schools for you, in Dr. the Rochester James. City I, School I, District. I, I, I'm looking I for understand. more. I understand. Okay. Uh, let's continue then on this microphone right here. Go ahead. Thank you so much. My name is Dawn Flowers Thompson. I am one of the teachers of the Rochester City School District, um, surviving all that has been shared. <laughs> I had three specific questions, and in this order, I'd like to ask um, for any response. First of all, um, the embedded racism in the current curriculum. I want to know as a superintendent, what are the initiatives that are put out? Secondly, as superintendent, is there a superintendent mentoring program? Because clearly, everyone that's here is in the choir. We are all aware and thinking about this, but what about all the many other um, administrators, people in places of power that are not here? And what is the response in your position to um, nudge, pull, drag those that are not? Because all of those children, black, brown, white children, are learning right now, including my daughter. Um, so those other superintendents that pushed back and refused, what is the legal civil rights issue at hand, and how can you mentor, communicate, connect with them? Third question. Um, and please do it in this order because I know we have a time constraint. In terms of predicting, how will you navigate these very important initiatives in the current president-elect chosen select for the head of education? That puts you in a particularly tough situation. Please, in that order, because the last one is important, but I don't want to spend the time on that one. Okay. Uh, so the first question was on racism in the curriculum. Uh, so uh, I, I, I can't speak to what the specific initiatives are in, in every single school district. I, I can just maybe give you a broad sense for, as a superintendent, how we look at those uh, things. In our district, we have regular review, uh, review cycle for every one of our curriculum areas. So uh, a committee is convened, large groups of people, stakeholders from throughout the district, community members, staff members, et cetera, particularly focused on the content area, uh, the, the teachers from that content area. And they review performance, they review uh, updated standards from the state of New York, they review any current thinking, new information that there might be in that particular curricular area, and then they uh, will make suggested revisions to the curriculum going forward. So I think it's about, at least in our case, making sure that this is part of the dialogue when we do those reviews. It is also about the state, though, taking a real hard look at the social studies standards, the English standards, and making sure that this is pretty explicit in the standards that the state is driving us towards and that the assessment drives us towards in, in terms of our teaching. So um, that's how it would happen for us, and I think we, we just this is a new conversation in many areas. It, it needs to be further advanced than it is, but the reality is we are where we are. We need to, to look at that going forward for sure. You asked about a superintendent mentoring program. I, I think um, 
there's a wide variety of programs that uh, many of us participate in in supporting new superintendents, beginning superintendents, or potential superintendents in terms of entering the field. But in terms of this dialogue, I can tell you we, we regularly sit around the table with all of our colleagues from throughout the county, and th- there is a real sincere desire among that group of people to, to do better in this area, to engage in this dialogue. It's not an easy conversation. We saw the conversation that happened in Spencerport uh, a couple of years ago around the Urban Suburban Program in terms of the, the community reaction to that. This is a real challenging conversation during an otherwise very challenging time to have many conversations. Um, so is there a goal? Like are there identified written goals and timelines? Because then that makes it real. I just wondered if there is. No, I, because there, there is not. I mean, this discussion today is, is fortunately, Evan having this discussion and, and facilitating a greater dialogue. Um, but there isn't a particular uh, reform that's been introduced statewide. There isn't a particular program that we're reacting to. This is a, an evolving conversation in our community about the importance of this particular topic. And, and the third item that you mentioned is around the president-elect and um, his proposed choice for secretary of education. I think that that will have a significant impact more in urban schools than it will be for suburban schools. I think that it could potentially have an impact uh, relative to charter schools and vouchers, which uh, the the uh, proposed uh, nominee is is a big proponent of and has no experience in public education, has no experience actually as a uh, politician either or a leader in that kind of public uh, bureaucracy or in government. So I think there's a tremendous amount of concern, but I, I would say there has been a lot of concern raised in various sectors with the uh, selection of, of people for a variety of cabinet posts. And I, I think we'd have a similar reaction to, to those. Um, n- not to comment on each of those, but just to say that it's a, it's a big departure from what we're used to, and I think it will have a bigger impact in places that are impacted in a larger way by charter schools and voucher programs. Okay, before I jump to the next question, panelists, anyone else want to add uh, uh, on that? I think ditto to the first question about uh, embedded racism, racism in the curriculum, very similar to what Kevin outlined. The superintendent uh, mentoring program, there are formal networks through the, we all, uh, the superintendents belong to the New York Council uh, of um, I mean, uh, the uh, Council of School Superintendents. So that's our state organization. And so there's very formal networks for first, second, and third year superintendents, or if you're struggling informally in Monroe County, we work together to support one another. Each one of us has a phone, a friend, that if we're struggling with something, someone we trust, that we can pick up the phone and call. I will say that um, one internal struggle that probably none of the rest of my colleagues go through, though, is when sometimes if I bring to the forefront a concern, my fear sometimes is that I become that angry black woman, right? And that, oh, here she goes again talking about that stuff. And so that's something that I'm constantly monitoring and looking at. But, you know, it's important to me to bring some things to the table based on my experiences and my background. The third piece, the response to the uh, how will we navigate the uh, Secretary of Education Again, our state organization, the Council of School Superintendents, we have an advocacy and a legislative branch. Uh, Some of us sit on the House of Delegates. So we work together with superintendents from across the state when things come down, either from the state or from the federal government, of what our position is going to be and how we can fight or uh, determine what our next steps are going to be. So we do have that branch. Jeff's going to jump. Just very quickly. um, I, I... 
<clears throat> I will tell you that um, it's because of Leslie's presence and a comment she made at a meeting early in her superintendency that uh, some of the things that we have done since that point uh, have allowed 340 kids November 18th to come together at the Greece School District that hosted our last student summit on race. 340 kids from every single district, including the Rochester City School District, to talk about race with police officers from many different agencies who, who were invited to come for lunch, who came at 8 o'clock in the morning and stayed until 2 and became part of that entire day. It's because of some of the things that Leslie has brought to our group that we've been able to have three student summits. And if you talk about a timeline, the timeline extends. Rochester City School District is hosting the next student summit, March 31st, 2017. Brockport Central School District's hosting the next November 2017 uh, summit. And Churchville Chile has grabbed the March 2018 student summit. Our plan as superintendents is to build capacity amongst our kids, two summits per year, and move it around the county, including all the kids in all the districts. And the most important point, these kids are getting close to what you talked about, Brandon. They're talking about, can we go to our teachers and can we read something that's in addition to everything that we've been reading? And we say to them, well, ask your teachers. But then they'll say, well, they won't let us. And we say, well, look, they, that's us. Tell them to come ask us. Because there are some readings that we desperately want our kids to be able to look at. And we have to make sure our teachers know that that's going to be okay. Yeah, I can, I can say, as we get ready to, to move towards the end of the hour, I hope you had a chance to see the entire series of Degrees of Diversity. The third piece included uh, a woman who uh, lives in lives in the Pittsburgh district. Her grandson goes to Pittsburgh Sutherland, and, and she simply noticed that the books are the same books that we had in the 1960s. They're great books. They're almost all written by white males, and they're, all the protagonists are almost all white males. <laughs> and you know, she's simply asking for more representation, not in a way... I, 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 I mean, I think she's understanding there's great literature, but there's a diversity of great literature. And she, she didn't say having a diverse teaching staff would have definitely changed it, but sometimes we're... Uh, sometimes we miss what happens when you don't have diversity on staff, and, and she's asking them to take a look. And, and so that's just one example, I think, that kind of illustrates some of what Jeff and others have talked about. Let's try to uh, move as quickly as we can, and uh, we'll, we'll do sort of a, a quick round of comments from the remaining folks uh, who want to make comments, and then we'll get some final thoughts from our panel right here. Hi, my name's Peter. I taught for 13 years at this Wilson Magnet School, and... Uh, I want to say that um, I'd like to make a comment about the, the journey and the effort that it's going to take for white teachers to um, be a model and to help both our white students and the students of color in improving our success. And, and I have to say that our least success at Wilson Magnet was with the students of color. We admitted that to ourselves and made it a challenge every year. Um, and so one of the things that happened for me that helped me greatly was there was a course offered called African American Children and Culture by a Dr. David Anderson. And he presented us 
uh, something that w- really struck me and was the beginning of my journey. And that was, he said, you as teachers obviously have a profound value for, for learning and being curious about things. And uh, what in the way you teach and the way your classroom functions and the way your classroom looks shows your students the importance of them and, and your, their value in terms of um, their contribution to our country. And so he then went through and started to ask us, what do we know about African-American leaders, uh, both from Africa and, and the, the revolts against slavery? What do we know? Do we know the words to the Black National Anthem? Any of those things. And to that, that was just shocking because I realized there was so little in my practice that did that, that showed, and yet we value that about, we want our students to be like us, to be curious about everything, and we don't even show that in our classroom. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Right here. Hi, I'm Tina Chapman DaCosta. I was here for the first hour, left, and then when I heard you were talking about pedagogy and curriculum, I just had to come back. Um, I'm a professor at RIT, and I have a course now in African-American playwrights. But my first career was in computer science, and I did a lot in mathematics and computing. Never got anything in African-American culture. I had to teach myself once I became an adult. And now I find I have a lot of students that are white students, black students, Latino students, Asian students, who are interested in that topic. And more and more, I find that we are doing a disservice to our young people by not giving them a full comprehensive history, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, in our in our African-American history, which is part of the American history, but all of these stories, you have so much literature and video and other components available, especially in PBS. I use those in my classroom. I would love to support more of this in our classrooms here. My children went to the Fairport School District. My daughter is now in a master's in education. She is a teacher in New York City, and some of my kids do computing work. But either way, uh, we help those teachers, and they try to help us, too, and I'm sure many of us in the community would like to help more. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I, what I want to do is let our audience, who's right here in the little theater, know we're going to have to spill into the little cafe and continue after this program because we're almost out of time here, and that always happens when we've got such stimulating conversation. I think Brandon White should get the last word, the teacher on the staff. Uh, some final thoughts from you, and we're down to about 40 seconds or so, but go ahead, Brandon. No pressure. Um, <laughs> in term, there was one thing that got said about you know needing more RCSD kids to be RCSD teachers and why they wouldn't want to be, and I returned with the question, why would the convict want to be the correctional officer? Not necessarily to say that every CO is corrupt or doesn't do a great job, but the system that they represent and they have to interface with, why would they decide to interface with that system? So that's what I encourage us to think about as we think about how to get our young black and brown kids to be in our um, system. Brandon, thanks for being here, and thanks for, thanks for joining this panel. Jeff Crane, the superintendent of West Arondequoy, thank you. Leslie Myers, Brockport superintendent, and Kevin McGowan from Brighton, thank you to all of the panel. A round of applause for our panel this hour. Thank you. Uh, I want to especially thank the Little Theater. This is our first live broadcast on the road, and it's gone reasonably well, and maybe we'll do some more of it because it's so great to have community conversation and, and see an audience in person. Thanks for listening to the program. Our thanks to Megan Mack, the producer, and all of the staff who has been involved. I'm Evan Dawson. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you Monday.